Welcome to another episode of Sensational Customer Experiences. This is the show where we explore the idea that everything your customer knows about you is a direct result of input from their five senses. It's what they see, hear, taste, smell, and touch that determines how much they love you. Become and a now better leader in seven seconds. That's the message Wes that our Miller. guest today has to share with us. And I'm looking forward to some of the comments and some of the ideas he's going to share with us. Today, our guest is Irvine Nugent. He's a PhD, which means he's a smart guy, and he has some great <laughs> advice to give us when it comes to things like body language and first impressions and the messaging that we're sending through a, a lot of our visual and auditory senses. Irvine, welcome to the show. Wes, it's uh, wonderful. Thank you for the invitation. Great to be here and to uh, have a conversation in a topic. I am very passionate about. So, so tell me more about um, what it is you do. Sure. Uh, I specialize in um, helping leaders and uh, expand their uh, nonverbal presence, their emotional intelligence, and also their ability to assess uh, the credibility of statements. And I do that primarily to help them uh, make uh, stronger and deeper connections and uh, to help them read people and to exert more influence and to be able to have better connections. Well, everything you just described is something I'd like to do. So I'm all ears. I'm listening. Tell me, let's just get right into it and tell me what it is that I need to do. Well, you know, uh, I think what I find when I work with clients is everyone wants some of this uh, leadership presence, executive presence, and everyone knows it when we see it. Problem is uh, sauce that when you walk into a room, people know you're present and they're attracted to you. And what's really wonderful about some of the scientific research now is that we've been able to kind of deconstruct that and put it back together. And so what we know is that uh, people who are memorable, uh, leaders that stand out, are those that are and incredible presence. And, you know, there's nothing surprising in that because it really goes to these unconscious questions that we have. Whenever we meet a person, unconsciously, we're asking a number of questions. One of the questions we're asking, is this person friendly? Are they going to be nice? Do I want to get to know them? And then the other side is... Uh, is this person competent? Uh, do they know what they're talking about? And when you combine these two with a person to you, what you get is a real uh, uh, ability to connect and uh, develop a, a deep relationship. And uh, I find that this is a struggle for many just because of the world we live in. We are very distracted people. And this ability to, to bring all that together um, is compromised so often just because of our own busyness. But one of the things that's really incredible is that it is, it is possible to develop each of those areas. And uh, we used to think, you know, hey, charisma, either you've got it or you haven't got it. But that's really not true. Uh, there are certain things you can do to increase either of those competencies to help you really stand out and be more charismatic. Can you give us an example of maybe just one thing that I could do to be more charismatic? 
Absolutely. Uh, part, uh, yesterday I was doing a workshop and uh, I was talking with one of the people there and they said, you know, I come across as very competent. I know my stuff, but I, I'm a bit cold and uh, people are a bit off, off you know, they, they don't want to approach me. So we talked a little bit about some of the things you can do uh, just in those first number of seconds when you meet someone. So part of that is our hands. Um, are our hands visible? Our hands, you know, are very often our trust indicators. And what I mean by that is whenever we see a person's hands, um, we have this ability to, first of all, there's a primitive question, are they friend or foe? Do they have a weapon in their hands? But then also, you know, the handshake itself can create, um, it, it exudes a, a, a hormone called oxytocin, which is that hormone that helps us bond with someone. So that ability, just in those first number of seconds, to be able to look someone in the eye, to shake their hand, uh, exude some of that oxytocin, to smile, um, and uh, our eye direction, where we're gazing our eyes, all of those go into uh, what makes up a perfect and memorable meeting, and then begins this impression, hey, you know, this person's approachable, this person is friendly. I like that you bring up the topic of hands because I'm never sure what to do with my hands. I find that, and I know others are in conducting meetings or workshop sessions and you're in front of a group. What do you do with your hands? You know, some people I, I observe they're doing the fig leaf thing or some are, they've got their hands held behind their back or they just got them hanging along the side. Tell us what, in your opinion or from your research, is the best thing for us to do with our hands when we're standing in front of a group? So it's a great question, Rez, because it is one of the things, it's what I, I work a lot with speakers, and one of the things is, what do I do with these hands? It's like, ah, I don't know. And like you say, there's the hand, there's all these different things we can do. People put it in their pockets, they've got the fig leaf, etc. When a person, uh, if you're standing before a group, you want, uh, I think, to achieve a number of goals. And one of those is you want to appear, I am confident. I know my stuff. And the second thing is, I'm also approachable. And part of being able to achieve that is being open in our body. So what does confidence looks like a person that has their torso facing us totally without any barriers? And you see, here is the clue. When we are uncomfortable, one of the things that we tend to do with our hands and our arms is that we cover our organs. We're the only mammal that exposes our organs. And so when we are less confident, when we are fearful, it is only instinctual to cover those up. And that's why we fold our arms. That's why, for example, uh, women like to hold uh, their hands and one elbow on the other side. And so we cover up. And so uh, what, I, what I try and train people is a natural position is to stand in front of people, to have your arms by your side. Now, that's an incredibly uncomfortable thing to do and needs training. So part of what I ask people to do is, you know, take five minutes every day and just stand and have your arms next to you. Get comfortable with that position. And then I think the second element as well is that gestures are incredibly important. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of research on gestures helping us um, in memory retention. Uh, another research showed that children who use gestures are able, when they're learning maths, are able to retain um, the learning better. And people, when they look at uh, people's gestures, uh, it comes across as being uh, a person is competent, they know, and it helps the explanation. 
So I think those two things are incredibly important to work on. Um, a little tip here, you know, it's very difficult uh, for us to see ourselves where our natural position is and how we're using gestures. So I always say to people, always, always, to the extent you can, video record yourself. Video record yourself practicing, video record yourself at a meeting, because then that's when you really get insight into what you are doing. That can be a real uncomfortable thing to do, to watch yourself on video. <laughs> you know, I, I do some training with uh, uh, speakers training, and uh, part of that is it's highly interactive, and I videotape people a number of times. And the largest groan or the loudest groan you'll always hear is when I say, oh, we're going to videotape you, and we're going to watch it. So I have to say it is very uncomfortable, but you know, after a while you just get, you know, used to yourself on the screen and then you, that, that, un, you know, that uncomfortableness kind of to fade away and then you really start connecting, you know, what was this like? How, how, how am I appearing up? What am I noticing? And that leads to my next question. I know you talk a lot about developing, um, developing the ability to read people. Mm-hmm. And that has really intrigued me. Can you give me some insight as to what I can do to best read someone when I'm first meeting them? So it's a great question. You know, I think we have a bias towards the words that we um, use. And what I find is, uh, you know, if you're you're the best man, uh, say at a wedding, and you have to give a speech, everything is focused on the words. And so when we meet someone, we're listening intently. But there is five other areas of data that are coming in, and so often we don't focus. So we don't focus, for example, on the body language. We don't focus on the facial expressions. We don't focus on the modulation of the voice, the tone of the voice. We don't focus on how that voice may change with the words. And then we also don't focus on some of the psychophysiology, some of the changes there. So let me just give you one example. Um, you know, there, there's a whole world of body language out there and kind of you can look at 4,000 different things. But I always say to, to the person when you meet someone, is this person comfortable in your presence or are they uncomfortable? And there are signs in the body that we show that we are uncomfortable or we are comfortable. People who are comfortable tend to have more open stances. They tend uh, not to protect themselves or block themselves with other parts of their body. Um, they tend to, to smile, to be happy. They tend to, to front. And what we mean by fronting is that the, they're, they're facing directly to us. There's a connection in our head, in our body, and in our feet. Uh, people who are uncomfortable Uh, They begin to introduce what we are called manipulators. Manipulators is when you rub a part of your body. And, um, you know, there's a whole scientific explanation for that. That goes back to the earliest days when we were babies and uncomfortable. And so what we were crying for is for us, you know, to be picked up and to be soothed. And that soothing released oxytocin, which is this um, um, hormone that helps us feel connected. And so part of that is, is this rubbing is because we feel uncomfortable in the moment um, that we try to, you know, soothe ourselves. Um, and so when you're, when you're looking at those two areas, then it gives you a clue with it. How do I respond? So if someone is uncomfortable, um, you know, what we can't do is jump to conclusions of why they're uncomfortable, but it just means that we ourselves have to be uh, maybe more open, more friendly, more understanding. Um, and, and so kind of take the clues from there and, and kind of let ourselves really um, enter that conversation, be cognizant of that and change our approach as necessary. 
So the key is for our own self-awareness to see or to identify what is it I'm doing that may be causing this behavior from the other party. So and it could it could be, Wes, but you've also got to be careful because we are great storytellers. And so we love to read into things. And one of the one of the pop I would say a myth out there in the world when you Google body language, et cetera, is be very careful, you know, when when you have people say, if you do this, it means this, or if you do that, it means this. You know, it is possible to read when a person is angry, when a person is sad. We can read facial emotions. What we can't do is ascribe meaning to that. And we get into trouble when we have cause in our mind, oh, they are angry because of this. What we do know is, oh, I'm seeing signs of anger. I wonder what's causing that. Because it may be something we've done, but it may not. It may be something, you know, that happened uh, an hour or two ago that they're remembering, et cetera. So we've got to be careful. What we can do is recognize it's there, be sensitive to it, and adjust the conversation likewise. One of the other things I know that you um, speak about, and it's something that really... I think intrigues so many people is this idea of uncovering lies. Nobody likes to be lied to. And when people lie or when we perceive people are lying, that really upsets so many people. Tell me more about how do we know when someone's lying and what, what should we do about it? Oh, that is a, <laughs> a large topic. So here, where I'd start with is that we as human beings generally are very poor at detecting lies. Pretty often, um, I think that the statistic is about 51%. So uh, when you have people who are um, before us, uh, about 50%. Now, the great thing is with proper training, it's been proven to raise that number to about 80 or 90% at times. So first of all, it is there is skills. Um, part of that is an ability to, uh, ex- uh, to widen the lens that we're looking at. Um, so when it comes to detecting lies, the first thing what we're trying to do is we are trying to, first of all, um, look out for changes in, in that person. Um, actually, um, lying is something that's very difficult to do. And the reason why it's very difficult to do is that, first of all, we um, uh, put a load on our brain. There is an emotional load. And what I mean by that is uh, we have feelings about lying. So if we lie, sometimes, you know, we may feel guilty or something like that. And that load weighs on the brain. And then there's a cognitive load. And what that means is, you know, when you introduce a lie into the story, you now have two separate tracks in your mind. You have to justify this lie, adjust the story, and you're always thinking back on that. And so what I like to say is it's not that the lies come come out, but rather the person leaks truth. Signs of the truth come out. And um, so one important element is you have to understand what are the changes that are happening in the behavior of this person. And so the first stage is you really got to have a good read on what we would call their baseline is. How is this person um, in normal uh, behavior when they're having a a conversation that really um, has little stress or impact? And once you know that, then you're able to detect um, changes. So say, for example, um, a person is uh, talking to you, you suspect a lie, and all of a sudden you're noticing that they're not using any gestures. And their baseline is, wow, they, they use a lot of gestures. And now all of a sudden, it's almost like they're frozen. And that becomes what we would call a point of interest. Hmm, 
you know, that's interesting. That has changed. Um, we may, uh, it's also, uh, uh, possible to detect uh, certain emotions. So say if a person is, uh, say you asked uh, someone, you know, you suspect someone for stealing something and you say to them, hey, do you know where the cash box is? And this person may be fearful. And uh, what happens with us is that our emotions happen so quickly that we, we cannot stop the emotion happening. What we can do is try to suppress it or squelch it but we can't do it quickly enough. And so there are signs in the face, which we call micro expressions, which show that emotion. Sometimes it's as quick as the 20th of a second, but with training, it is possible to see that. And so then that said, oh, I'm seeing a flash of fear. I wonder what that fear is. Now, again, we gotta be careful because that fear could be a number of things. It could be fear that, oh, they're gonna discover that I stole the money, or it could also be fear that, hey, they're gonna think I did this and I didn't. So um, what, what really, it, it, this is combined with some really good questions and, um, and really to get to the, uncover the truth as well. But it's, it's really a systematic science that you can get involved in. And it is incredibly, um, you know, with some training, it's, it's easy to raise your ability to really get to the heart of truth and the credibility of others. So I hear you saying that, we're naturally at about 51% of the ability to detect lies. But with training, we can get that, that up into the 80s. Is training, now that's something that you do? Yes, it is. Yeah, so I offer, uh, there is a, you know, a lot of this work was developed by a really uh, fantastic scientist called Paul Ekman. Um, people may know of some of his work. There was a, a series in Fox uh, television a while back called Lie to Me. And the fictional character there, Carl Lightman, was based on Paul Ekman's life. But Paul Ekman really developed the science around uh, lies and, and detecting lies. And, uh, and that science has been around the security services for many years. And what's exciting now is that we're bringing it to the business world and, and you know, helping business owners, helping leaders uh, integrate that science. Um, and it's powerful. You know, it's powerful for um, interviews, for negotiations, et cetera. And so there's a three-day uh, training, which uh, is called Evaluating Truthfulness and Credibility, uh, which people can do. And it really dives into some of that science with some really practical uh, practice. And then there are online modules afterwards that you can really perfect your ability to uh, read some of those micro-expressions and uh, begin to uh, become more knowledgeable in the signs uh, that you have to look out for. And this is training that you do and provide? Yes, it is. Yes. So, so I'm going to ask you to do a little plug. And if there's listeners out there that want to reach out to you for that training and, and the ability to increase some of their skill sets in this area, how would they get a hold of you? Well, you can go to my website. IrvineNewton.com. The next training actually is in uh, Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C. in Reston, and it's March 25th. It's five days. The first two days uh, is a uh, dive into the science of emotional intelligence, uh, increasing your emotional intelligence, and then the last three days is this evaluating truthfulness and credibility. So you can do in five days, you can really dive into uh, improving, deepening your emotional intelligence. And then with that, uh, increase your ability to detect lies, uncover truth. Excellent. I was on your website. And another thing that you, I, I see that you talk about, and it's very intriguing to me, and I don't know if this is part of the training or not, but it's this idea of a pause button. 
Well, why don't you tell us more about what that is? Uh, you know, um, we, um, we like to think as human beings, we're very sophisticated, and we are. However, um, we also carry around with this uh, our inheritance as cavemen and cavewomen. And uh, our brain has one function, and that function is survival. And uh, part of what we do every day is make sure that we survive. And our brain is constantly scanning for threats. And we live in a world, you know, um, I like to describe, there's an acronym that the Navy War College came up and the Cold War, and it says we live in times of VUCA, VUCA, um, which is volatility, uncertainty, uh, complexity, and ambiguity. And that's the reality that of our world today. And that is a world that is at times threatening for us. So day in, day out, we are constantly um, dealing with uncomfortable situations. And the problem with uh, our brain is that uh, what worked well in primitive times, when we walked out of the cave and we saw a woolly mammoth, uh, we didn't have time to react. We just reacted. And that was good. That's We survived. But today, some of those triggers um, in our mind are, for example, we brought one example earlier today. Sometimes you have to speak in front of, in front of uh, people in a room. Um, sometimes in a meeting, someone speaks over you and you're triggered. Uh, sometimes um, you hear the word budget cuts in a company and all of a sudden it triggers people emotionally. So we have emotional triggers. And the problem with those emotional triggers is that our higher functioning is disabled. And so we go into this fight or flight and we want to get away from this threat. And unfortunately, that doesn't help us show up as our best selves. So what I talk about the pause button it is in the midst of that, it is we are able to introduce uh, different activities which truly help us refocus, recenter, and then help us show up to the best of our ability. So one of those examples I call is a seven-second vacation. And in the midst of that, I ask people for one second to put their feet on the ground. And that pure act of physicality touching the ground um, helps us get away from the emotionally triggered brain and back into our physicality, back into feeling what our feet feel like on the ground. What does it feel like our socks, the inside of our shoes? And then with three seconds, uh, we breathe in. And then I ask people to scan what's happening in your body. Where is the tension? What are you feeling? Uh, what emotion is there? What's triggered? And then uh, in seconds five, six, and seven, breathe out and readjust the body. Um, you know, I always invite people, what is your, how do you show up when you are open and confident and ready to go and readjust your body uh, to that stance, either in your standing or seated? And in that, that simple seven seconds, we're able to really change the trajectory of a conversation and how we're showing up and certainly change our presence. So let me make sure I got this right. So the first second, I'm going to put my feet flat on the ground, take a moment to recognize what that feels like, the, the socks and the feel of, the, of my shoes. The next three seconds, I'm kind of do an assessment of where my body and my emotions and my stressors are. Then uh, the last three to four seconds, I'm going to breathe out and get reconnected with, with the present. Yes. And in fact, I, I created um, a, uh, a little um, 
website around that called leadershippause.com. And it's a free tool for people. And every day they get a little uh, email reminder on to have a seven second vacation. There's a little motivational quote. And then it goes through each of those steps and reminds people each and every day to integrate that into their practice. Um, and a lot of my clients have really found that incredibly helpful in changing some of the trajectories of their conversations. So I can sign up for some free pointers and tips every day. Absolutely. Yep. You'll get an email every day and that email will remind you and it'll say, here's the quote for the day. Here's a, a provocative question to think about. And here's the three steps for that uh, vacation. Okay. So I'm at that website now, leadershippause.com. There it is. Sign up now. Well, you'll be getting my sign up in a few seconds. Sounds good. I'm ready to start getting my uh, better experience going in, in seven seconds or maybe even less than seven if I get good at it, right? Absolutely. Well, okay. the great thing about, <laughs> yeah. And the great thing about it is, you know, you can integrate that into any, t- you know, you can do that on the fly. You can do it in the middle of a meeting. You can do it in a conversation. It's just that ability to reset. You know, as humans, we cannot stop our emotions happening. That train is going to leave the station. It is impossible. What we do get to choose as human beings is the track that that train is going to take. And so we get to insert just that little bit of space and become more deliberate in the choice that we are making. And we're choosing, therefore, to have uh, um, rather than a reactive stance, a much more creative presence, which, of course, is more lasting. I just love this because seven seconds seems so doable. Yeah. Oftentimes, we're, I, I'm, I'm exposed to or I'm hearing so many different ideas and concepts, and it's like, who has time? There's so much going on every day that it's, it's hard to grasp how I can just fit one more thing. But when you are suggesting that I can do some pretty meaningful things in just seven seconds... Uh, and that can make a huge difference in my experience. Seven seconds is something I'm willing to invest and in, becomes doable in my mind. Yeah, I mean, and that's really, you know, as your experience is the experience of everyone I meet. Um, we live in a world where we just do not have space and time. Uh, we are pressured. And, um, you know, I, I came up with this because really, you know, a reset has to be in the moment. And uh, yeah, it could be great if we could go and meditate for 45 minutes. And, and, and not that I'm not advocating that, but is it, it's not practical during the day. So therefore, you know, these practices are, are deeply meaningful and really can, can, can change the quality of our presence and how we're showing up. So there you have it, the message of how to become a better leader in seven seconds. Irvine, that is just some terrific stuff, and I'm, I can't wait to start implementing. Uh, in fact, today, I'm looking forward to, I'm going to look for those moments when I can maybe do a couple of seven-second pauses and get myself regrounded, refocused, and recentered. And I do like that reset button. It's almost like I'm going to be pushing the button on my hip or something as a reminder that you take seven seconds and, and you can reset the day. Reset oh, absolutely. The, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Just because the day started one way doesn't mean we can't reset it. That's why I say to people, just start again, reset. And, and that's incredibly important, you know, and, and not to be hard on ourselves, you know, 
um, life is tough. Leadership is tough. And just this ability to kind of this constant practice, this non-judgmental practice of just let's reset, let's start again, let's be present. Thank you. You've given us some really uh, good and intense material. I appreciate you coming on to, to visit with us. One of the things I do with all of my guests is I always ask a fun sensory question. Sure. I have a fun sensory question for you, and that is, tell us your favorite Monopoly piece. Oh, the little, wow. metal, the little metal pieces that go around. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That which, was one of my which, favorite which, one, Yeah, which one are you claiming every time? You know, I got to claim, uh, if, if I had a choice, I always would choose the boot. Uh, because I'm a little competitive, and visually, when I knocked a player out of the game, I just imagine my little boot going boom, and them kind of falling over. So I always, if I had a choice, and I was kind of first to choose my piece, I would always go for that boot. So it becomes a real visual experience, booting, the, booting yeah. the other players, booting the other player out. Yeah, it brings <laughs> out my, my 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 competitive juices kind of come to the surface, though they do. <laughs> okay. In closing, we have our, our final segment is That Makes Sense to Me. And that's where I ask you to leave the listeners with two or three suggested strategies that you uh, would recommend that people implement right away if they want to achieve some success, say, with the seven-second uh, program or with, with the body language or anything you'd like to share uh, just a couple of uh, strategies that make sense to you that will make sense to us. Yeah, so let, let me just uh, let me revisit a little bit of the triggers. So I would say knowledge is power. Um, each of our emotional footprints is very different. What triggers me is not what triggers you. So I would invite uh, the listeners to really examine what is it that gets your goat what is it that just triggers you and brings you to a space where you just enter a zone? Because that's unique and everyone has their own. And then when you, uh, when you find that space, um, that's the moment when you have to begin to use those seven-second reset button. So it's almost like imagine yourself being triggered in that zone and then using the seven-second. And then the other uh, uh, tip that I would give when it when when you're in that zone is I would like you to visualize what is another way of uh, working with that. So for example, I was working with someone recently and they get triggered when uh, they hear negative talk. They just shut down. Goes back to uh, early childhood, etc. And so then I said, well, what would it, what would, you know, if you showed up in your most confident, powerful self and, uh, um, and you were um, able to choose a different option and, uh, you know, they described, oh, I'd be like this Teflon pot that this negativity would just brush off me and I would remain positive. And I said, well, visualize that. Visualize having a negative conversation, or if you know that tomorrow you're having a conversation with someone who's always negative, visualize you being this wonderful Teflon pot that really it's impenetrable and you are able to remain focused and constant because that is power and it gives you other options and choices. So those are two things. Know your triggers and then visualize how you want to show up as your best self and we know for visualization, um, last thing at night before you go to bed, first thing in the morning are powerful moments um, to visualize in our brain. Thank you. That's some great advice. I'm looking forward to implementing these ideas today. Uh, they're, they're doable, highly focused, and they don't take a lot of time. 
And I think that's something that is of, of importance to everybody is that it needs to be doable, easy, and doesn't take a lot of time. I hope that maybe you'll join us again. Uh, maybe in the future, you'll have some other tips or some advice that you'd like to share with us and we can have you a, a guest on the show again. Really would love that. Yeah. Be more than happy to come and share and, and uh, maybe explore another topic that uh, some of the listeners would like me to explore. Happy to. So in the meantime, go to that website, leadershippause.com. I just did, and I signed up for the daily email. I'm looking forward to that. You also have irvinenugent.com, which is I-R-V-I-N-E-N-U-G-E-N-T.com. That's where you can find out about the various workshops, how to get in touch with Irvine if you want to get some additional coaching or training about these topics. And I know you mentioned you've got a workshop coming in March. So if that's something that's of interest to you, go to the website, get that information. And uh, Irvine, this has been a great pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Wes, likewise. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Okay. And to everyone out there, I want to thank you for tuning in again for another episode of Sensational Customer Experiences. Hopefully, you've got some tips today and some pointers from Irvine about how you can enhance that sensational experience that you're creating. Also, how to better tap into the sensational experience that you are experiencing and resetting yourself if you find that it's not as sensational as you would like. Remember, when you can sense it, your customers can too. See you next time. For free tips, resources, and information, visit sensationalcustomerexperiences.com, your premier experience brand brought to you by Training for Results, located in the sensory capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada. Until next time, remember, if you can sense it, your customers can too.